did, and I hope you have a Bible, and if you do, we'll open up to Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight. Uh, if you've been around long enough, uh, around me long enough, you know that Nehemiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, it's, uh, we're due a, a walk through the whole book. Um, a, a couple of years ago, we did, uh, I think, three or four messages on Sunday mornings from the book, but it's really a great uh, great underrated, underpreached, understudied book of the Bible. There's a few of those, but Nehemiah has to be up there at the top. Um, really, there's, there's no more uh, a practical book in the Old Testament than the book of Nehemiah. It's so uh, helpful for us as believers that want to serve the Lord and uh, look for practical solutions to some of the challenges that come our way. So, I think there are no shortage of reminders that we can hear as uh, we begin a new year regarding the opportunity that is in front of us. And I think if you were to label the, the book of Nehemiah with one word, I think it would be the word opportunity. Um, of course, there's no reason why you can't make changes or seek God or in his intervention at any point in the year. You don't have to wait for the new year. But the fact of the matter is that as the new year comes, we're more sensitive to it, we're more open to it and uh, fresh starts and resolutions are just kind of in the air. Uh, but January is the perfect opportunity for us to dedicate some of our downtime to being prepared. And that's why we study and devote ourselves to God's word. But uh, the holidays are over and we go from being super busy with no time free to probably a lot of time that's free. Uh, and, and it seems like that happens overnight. And that's a good thing. Uh, we need to have seasons of preparation so that we might be positioned for the seasons of activation to serve and, uh, and prime to serve the Lord. So I think it would benefit all of us to, serve, to use this first week of the year. And if you need more than one week, that's great. That's fine. But I think it would benefit all of us to use these first few days of the year to observe and open ourselves up to God so that he might show us uh, that his word might examine us and expose any area that needs to be addressed in this new year. Now, I don't know about y'all. Y'all probably are doing pretty good and, and, and are almost to the point of perfection, but myself, if I'm being honest, um, I've got some work that I need to do, and I've got some areas that need to be addressed, and uh, really, over the last couple of weeks, this, I came back to Nehemiah because it's always a text that I come to this time of year, uh, and I really felt like God was, uh, that our church needed to hear uh, a fresh uh, uh, word from this book, and, and I think God uses the church and messages from the church to, to do that, to bring uh, awareness to us and to show our uh, hearts what needs to be addressed and, and expose us to what is true and, and what needs to be done. And as a pastor, I'm especially sensitive to this so that the words that I say are less my own and totally reflective of what God would say to us and what God's word says to us. So I think New Year's, like every holiday, uh, certain holidays amplify certain passages or certain passages amp are amplified during certain holidays. And I think that New Year's lends itself to certain passages of scripture uh, that uh, some turn to every year. And, and I'm sure you have yours that you look at maybe at the beginning of the year. Uh, and I think there's a fresh and powerful word from God regarding the work he wants to do in me and in you. And the book of Nehemiah is, is a book that I've turned to probably for the better part of 10 years now uh, that uh, I, I Every year I come back to and say, God, this is so rich and so powerful. Would you do a fresh work in me through the word? And, and I feel like as a pastor, it's, it's a great opportunity to talk to you all about it. So most of us are at least familiar with Nehemiah, the book, and maybe even the person. Uh, Nehemiah would become the governor of Judea, uh, the governor of Judea uh, around 530 or so BC. Um, after Judea, uh, Ju the Jews were allowed to return to Babylon or return to the land after they had been in Babylon for 70 years. Uh, Babylon fell to Persia. The Persian king uh, Cyrus uh, informed by 
by Daniel about God's plan for Israel, let the Jews return to the land. Uh, and then Nehemiah uh, comes along later, a few years later, um, and, and enters that story. Uh, Nehemiah didn't initially return with the exiles to the land, if you're familiar with the story. Um, initially, a man named Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel is a little bit easier to pronounce it. Uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra were the team leaders when the Jews first returned to the land. Uh, Zerubbabel was a descendant of uh, David. He was kind of would have been king probably one day, and, and they looked to the tribe of Judah for a leader. Uh, Zerubbabel was the guy that they pegged as their leader, and Ezra was a descendant of the priesthood. He was of the tribe of Levi. So Zerubbabel and Ezra teamed up to uh, help restore the land and help rebuild the nation. And under Zerubbabel's leadership, uh, they began to resettle the land. And under Ezra, they began to reobserve the law and reobserve the temple practices. And of course, that would take a long time to rebuild uh, the temple and, and all that that uh, you know, included. Uh, years later, the nation's morale still had not reached the heights that it really needed to in order to really get the nation back in full swings. So if you read the whole story, there are plenty of points when the people are just not feeling it. They're just devastated. They're frustrated. It isn't as good as it used to be. And as they were told by their parents and grandparents that it could have been or it was before, and, and they just weren't feeling it. Uh, and they were very at a very low place. So as a result, there were many areas with the restoration process that remained underdeveloped. And the nation was very vulnerable as a result. And this is where Nehemiah enters the story. Nehemiah had remained in Persia even though he was of the tribe and lineage of David. Nehemiah chose not to leave his place in Persia and join his brothers and sisters in the land. Nehemiah, you see, had a pretty prominent position in Persia. He was in the king's administration under the king Artaxerxes. Now, Persia had taken cues from Babylon. Uh, remember, Babylon picked some of the brightest and best of the sons of Judah and brought them them into the royal administration. Daniel, Abrak, Meshach, and Abednego. And Persia must have saw that Babylon had a lot of success elevating some of these Jewish uh, sons of Judah to the place uh, of prominence in the kingdom. So Persia found some and said, hey, I heard that your ancestors are pretty sharp leaders and had it in you to be uh, uh, good administrators. Nehemiah was one of those that got found and discovered and elevated and placed in the king's administration. And the story goes that Nehemiah chose not to leave his post and return to Judea, which if you were Nehemiah, you probably would think what he thought. Why should I leave or why should he leave such a safe and comfortable lifestyle? He was well paid. He was well to do. I mean, why would he leave that and go help rebuild a nation that he really had no connection to? He was born in Persia. He had no familiarity to, with the Jewish traditions. Yes, he was Jewish in lineage, but why would he go back to a place that was literally ruins? It would be too costly. It would be too inconvenient. Why would he trade luxury for the toil and grind of that? However, word gets back to Nehemiah that the project was in shambles. And some of Nehemiah's brothers and some of his relatives knew that Nehemiah was a natural born leader. He knew, they knew that he was elevated to the place of prominence in Persia for a reason. And they began writing letters to Nehemiah and they began practically begging Nehemiah to leave his post and help them in this rebuilding process. And the, and the king of Persia was understanding that the Jews wanted to go home, so they would have allowed this and it wouldn't have been a consequential thing for them. It was just gonna be an inconvenient thing 
for Nehemiah. So word get back, gets back to Nehemiah that the project was in shambles. Eventually, eventually he receives a letter asking his assistance. The people needed leadership, they needed guidance, and Nehemiah was the perfect candidate to enlist for the job. Uh, and Nehemiah makes the decision in his heart. And after a long and, and arduous, you know, mental conversation, he makes a decision that he's got to ask the king to give him leave so that he might help his people. And that's where we enter the story, Nehemiah chapter two, verse number one. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, there is, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and Nehemiah was insecure that the king saw that he was somehow unhappy. How could you be unhappy being one of the king's right-hand men? And the king said, may the king, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Now, Nehemiah hadn't always been sad about what was going on at his homeland. Back in chapter one, he was completely oblivious to it and careless about it. And again, he had no response. He had no obligation to go back and do that. He was not connected to it really in any other way but his lineage. But as he began to think about it and pray about it and he couldn't escape the, con- the, 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 you know, the word and the, re- the request and the letters and he began to think about it more and more and more, he realized, what am I doing? Living this life of luxury when my people need me and my God has called me to this. So the king said to me, what do you request? So I pray to the God of heaven. So in this moment, Nehemiah says, God, I need your help because I don't know if I'm even able to ask this. And I don't think it was as much as that he was scared to ask it. I think it was one of those things where Nehemiah knew if he requested it, he couldn't somehow back away from it because it would be a shameful thing to say, I want to go help my people. And then to say, hey, I don't really want to go help my people. So Nehemiah knew that he had to make sure that he knew what he, that he wanted to do this and that he was set on doing it. Verse five, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. It's a pretty lofty request. It's a pretty lofty goal. Nehemiah says, I know, and he's not being arrogant. He's just self-aware. He knows that he's got the talents and the gifts and the ability to lead. Nehemiah says, I know what I've been called to do. How can I? How can I ignore that the kingdom of my God is in ruin while I remain here at such a lofty place? Again, Nehemiah, there was no verse in the Bible that said Nehemiah had to do this. There was no verse in the Old Testament that he had that said, you must go back. But as Nehemiah wrestled with it and prayed about it and thought about it, he realized that he didn't need a a chapter and verse that there was something in him that had to respond to this calling over his life that was, of course, the whole scripture put before him. How could he let the the kingdom of God be in ruin while he remained at such a lofty, comfortable place? For some of us, our hearts start beating right there, don't they? (laughs) Because it pulls at us when we consider what our priorities are and what our obligations are. So the story goes that Nehemiah resigned from his post and went to Judea and told as few people as possible You heard that right. Nehemiah does not tell anybody or doesn't tell many people that he's coming back. 
He wanted to go and observe all that needed to be done. So he came in secret and began searching through the city with a selected group of men. He comes by night and begins investigating the scene. Down in verse 11, we pick up the story. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days before anybody knew I was there. Verse 12, then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me because he didn't want to make any noise except the one on which I rode. And I went by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. I turned back and entrenched, entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or others who did the work. So Nehemiah had not told basically anybody other than the group of men he traveled with. This is very important that we understand why he took this approach. And this is important as we begin to observe what God might want to do in our lives this year. Incognito, Nehemiah went about unaware for this reason. Allowing his heart to be broken by what remained unfinished in the kingdom of God. You see, some of us... We need to allow our hearts to be broken by what remains unfinished and unattended to in the kingdom of God. What areas that, nope, that someone is ignoring or a lot of people are ignoring that we know that needs to be addressed. A lot of us, we need to allow our hearts to be broken and we don't need to tell anybody about it. We don't need to make a big announcement about it. We just need to put our hearts under the word of God around that area that we know that God has called us to. We need to devote our time and our dedication and we need to give ourselves in thought and prayer and allow God to break our hearts over what remains unfinished. He doesn't immediately start shouting out orders or making a list of things that need to be done. He observes and allows that the need to be made clear and begins developing a plan to address every pressing area. And this is what I think we should be doing in this first year, first week of the year. I think we need to be searching our heart searching our hearts and examining the areas that are weak and unattended to in our personal lives, in our private lives, in our relationships, in our church participation. We need to go to God and say, God, I know you're calling me to leave my lofty position, my comfortable, otherwise, you know, you know little uh, controlled area of, of the world. I know you're calling me to something more important. I know you're calling me to something that is greater than what I've been spending my life on. I want you to break my heart about this area. I want you to prepare me and show me and make clear to me what needs to be attended to, what needs to be repaired, what needs to be restored in my heart and around my life. Make it clear. And we need to go to God this week because if we let the week go by and the month go by, we'll be well preoccupied. We need to go to God and allow him to begin developing, impressing, and understanding on our hearts about what needs to be done so that we might have the proper vision that we need to be able to address and thus provide a solution. Verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? 
how Jerusalem lies in waste, the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us, underline that, let us, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He says, we are vulnerable, we are broken, we need organization, we need to come together as a team because there is a weak and unattended nation. So Nehemiah rallies the crowd, and of course he would have commanded an audience because he was a somebody, he was a former advisor to the king of Persia, came to fulfill his father David's shoes. He was the next in line. Maybe he'll be the king someday, who knows? But this is someone that people would listen to. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me, had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. A surefire way to test whether or not the work we've set out to do is the resistance that we will face and the challenges that we will face when we announce that we're going to do it. Nehemiah makes this announcement in verse 19 through 20 make, uh, uh, introduce us to some adversaries. It says there in verse 19 that an individual named Sanballat and another one named Tobiah and another guy named Geshem, they laugh at them and despise them for thinking that they can make this happen. So a surefire way to know whether or not the, the thing that has broken your heart and the thing that God's called you to do, the, a, a way to know if that's actually of God or not is sometimes the resistance that you face when you say, I'm gonna do it. Sometimes that resistance is from your own heart because a lot of us have a lot of voices going on in our heads and that's not to make fun. I've got a lot, I've got people, I've got a voice that says you shouldn't do that. At the same time, God's saying yet you should, right? We all face that because we have the enemy whispering in our ears as much as we have people opposing us. Don't get me wrong, sometimes we face opposition that we bring on ourselves, but we shouldn't confuse the two, and I'm not trying to give us a complex against the world, but the reality is, the reality is, when we set out to do something that's going to make a kingdom difference, there are definitely going to be hellions that withstand us. Minions of hell, right? I thought that was a good way to summarize that. When we set out to do something that's going to make a kingdom-sized difference and impact, there are going to be people that will oppose us and there are going to be things in our own hearts that doubt that it's actually worth it. We've got to be strong and we've got to be determined and we've got to make sure when we announce that this is what we want to do, that we are ready for the challenges that are going to come our way because they will come. We've got to have a strong vision and inspiration to stand against those that detract and detract and distract. As we observe what needs to be done from ourselves and on out, as we observe what needs to be done, we will identify that which cannot be reduced and cannot be dismissed. We will identify non-negotiable areas that need to be addressed and we will begin seeking out or we must begin seeking out wisdom and guidance from God's word. We will seek out support and accountability from God's people. Notice Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah seek God throughout the story and then the next two chapters, we're gonna see him form a unit a group of men and women that are a team of his, partners of his, he forms a unit to commit to addressing the needs. If you look over at chapter three, you'll see this phrase repeated again and again and again and again. It's in verse two, it's in verse four, it's in verse five, it's in verse seven, it's in verse eight, verse nine, verse 10 and 12, and probably some more. 
you'll see this phrase, and next to him, and next to him. Do you see that? And next to them, and next to them. Nehemiah did not go about this on his own. Even though it was a vision God gave him, Nehemiah said back in verse 17 and 18, let us rise up and build. The collective that he formed allowed them to stay committed through the challenges. Let us rise up and build. This is so big. This is so big. Even though he inspected it alone, he was not so foolish to think that he could do it alone. You hear that? Even though he saw it and thought of it on his own, even though it was his vision and his burden, he was not so foolish to think that he could do it alone. And this is where a lot of us follow, this is where a lot of our visions fall apart. This is where a lot of us lose the follow through that we are so desperately in need of. Some projects are more personal than others. Some are more individual focused than others, especially when it's a personal thing. But the point is still that we need support of one another if we're going to ever accomplish anything for the kingdom of God, if we're ever going to make progress. Even as our, in our individual private lives, we need the support of one another. We need somebody next to us and next to us and next to us. We've referenced these verses before. I'll rapid fire show them to you. But we as a church promote these. You've heard me preach these. And we've talked about these in our small groups again and again and again. But the Bible is so full of this very specific truth that Nehemiah echoes. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpen iron and one man or one woman sharpens another. Again, we need each other to be able to accomplish these goals that God puts and these burdens that God puts on our heart. Ecclesiastes 4, obviously a favorite of mine, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Later in that chapter, he says a, three, a, a two-fold cord, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. This is why the local church is such a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this is a lot of, for a lot of us. The church is, you know, what, what, what do you mean all of us together? It's me and I'm on the way out. A lot of us miss this and the church has really not fostered this important truth in a lot of ways but we need to know like Nehemiah knew so clearly even though it was his individual burden he knew that it was not for him to address alone even if it was his own responsibility or his own individual thing he had to have the support of other people lest he fall away from the task and that's what clearly is on display throughout Nehemiah 3 as they work alongside each other to build up the city Chapters four through six detail the dedication that is required if the work is gonna be completed. In chapter four, we hear Nehemiah rally his co-laborers as they face discouraging times, and it got pretty dark. A letter was written uh, to King Artaxerxes, and the project was halted because the, some lies were told and rumors were spread, uh, and, and that people thought, hey, what's the point of this? We've been doing this for 100 years now, and it's not getting any better, not getting any easier. Why are we trying to rebuild something that's just not gonna work? In chapter five, we see Nehemiah live out his faith in his private life. It's really incredible and it's a whole sermon to itself. But Nehemiah, as the governor of the land, he was, he was promoted to governor. As governor, he was given a very beefy salary. He was given certain privileges. He was given, given certain luxuries. He was given uh, time off and he was given all these bonuses. And Nehemiah in chapter five says, I don't want any of it. He calls the king and says, I want you to cut my salary. I don't want it. I, I want you to, uh, I don't want any vacation time. I don't want any of the luxuries that you give people that are governors of the regions. 
missions around the world. I want you to use my, and this is incredible, I want you to use my salary to pay off the debt of all the people in the land who have been made slaves to some of the money launders in the land taking advantage of them. I mean, man, if a politician did that, we would fall over and we would be gassed because who would do that? And we would say, why would you do that? Don't, don't, don't help somebody out. Nehemiah says, I want, you to, I want people to know I, I mean, I'm in this for them. I'm in this because I care about them as much as I care about myself, more than I care about myself. I mean, if, if you want to just fall over and, 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 and just get, jaw a gap, read Nehemiah chapter 5. It is incredible. He has moral authority that was necessary to convince the people that they should press on when the times got tough. But I want to leave I want to wrap up our conversation tonight by looking at chapter six to emphasize what I believe is the key difference maker in fulfilling our resolutions, accomplishing our goals, finishing the work that God has called us to do in any given season. So Nehemiah six, chapter uh, six, verse one through four. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors on the gates that Sambalat and Gershom sent to me saying, come and let us meet together among the villages in the plains of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. So I sent messenger, messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I am doing a great work. Remember back in chapter two, it was a good work. Now it's a great work. I am doing a great work. Why should I leave it and come down to you? They sent me this message four times. You ever got somebody this won't leave? They won't let take no for an answer. Four times. And I answered them the same way. I am doing a great work. I cannot leave it. I cannot cease this work and come down to you. And man, will this preach. We see in Nehemiah a few amazing, inspiring qualities. He had vigilance, he had confidence, and he had commitment. Vigilance means awareness. It means perspective. It means clairvoyance. It means that because it gives off a sense of this future awareness. Vigilance is a virtue the New Testament preaches again and again. It's the idea that we know how important the work we've been called to do is, and we know the temptation to give up. We know the opposition that will frustrate us. It's a sense of guardedness that we will take into any given project. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Nehemiah was vigilant. He saw the enemies coming a mile away and he was ready for them. He also was confident. Confident in the greatness of his work that God called him to do. Listen, if you don't label your, great, your work great, if you, don't, if you don't accomplish them as a great work in the face of temptation and opposition, you'll be easily convinced and swayed away from them and you'll be led to downplay them. If you don't call your work great, who will? If you don't say, this project God has called me to is great and I am not coming down from it. If you don't label it great, who will? Because believe me, there's a world out there, people that even like you or care about you, there's a world out there of people that will tell you why everything else is greater. And there's a voice in you that will say, hey, there's a lot of other things that are great right now you could do if you don't really need to waste your time on this. 
trying to sell you or distract you with something lesser. Now, you don't need me to spell this out for you, but then again, maybe you do. The Bible is clear, and we can be confident to call our works great because it lays out what our work should be. The Bible identifies great works as that which pertains to the kingdom of God. And if you take the totality of Scripture, if you pull it down to the very finite, very specific, the kingdom is all about relationships. Now, we see Nehemiah, he's building a city that we think that's brick and mortar, but the point of the brick and mortar was about the relationships that were going to be fostered in it. The great work God's wanting to do in any of us is impact lives. We often hear church and kingdom, and we think place, not people, but that's not the point. God is not interested in brick and mortar for the sake of institution, but for those that will benefit from it. And this is so important. Something that every pastor and devoted church member struggles with because sometimes we become so passionate about the system, we forget what the system was established for. We can become so busy with religion, we forget about the relationships that they were all, that was meant to be the main thing. It's like the Pharisees, they were passionate about religion, but they forgot about those that religion was designed for. Jesus said this in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, I've got all these laws, I better make people to keep them. Just like you don't have kids so that you can have someone to pick up the toys, right? You have toys because you have kids, right? You don't make law, God didn't make people to observe laws, he made laws to help people. But isn't it funny how we can twist it around and we can become so much more passionate about the system and not the people that the system was made for? I say all this because our great work isn't just keeping this place organized and well-oiled for the pristine facility that it is, but it's about those that will dwell in it and function out of it and be blessed by it. There's a temptation that we struggle with in our personal lives as well, and that's what makes the difference between a house and a home. And this is so important for us in our personal lives, and it goes as much for the church as well. God has called us as men and women to build homes, not houses. Do you hear me? God is not impressed by a nice house, a fancy house, even when it comes to the house of God. He's not impressed by that. God desires a home because homes are where families and relationships thrive. And that's what the church should strive for as well. I think the correlation bleeds over to the church. We can't just be interested in the gold-plated trinkets and forget about the people that the place was built for. And that's what Nehemiah understood in practice with his own life. I say all this to say our great work as Christians, our great work as Christians is all about the relationships that we build and how we honor God through them. Isn't it true? Didn't Jesus say this is what it's all about? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and great. This is the great and first commandment. And the second, oh, we didn't ask for a second one, but he says, you're going to get it from me. The second is like it. The second is as great and primary. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know, well, who is my neighbor to love? The Good Samaritan parable identifies that for us, doesn't it? The Samaritan loves the man that fell in the ditch that he could have on paper walked on past. That shows you what about what loving your neighbor looks like. Loving someone that you could otherwise walk by. 
Love one another is repeated a hundred thousand times in the scripture. This is, of course, is well spelled out relating to husbands and wives, parents and kids in general towards one another. And sidebar, sidebar, there are so many curveballs that will come at us here because sometimes people are not so loving towards us. Has anybody ever not loved you? It It doesn't feel good, does it? Sometimes the people that we expect to show us love, don't show us love. And maybe they meant it, maybe they didn't mean it, but we receive it as unlove, don't we? Here's the thing. This commandment does not alter in those scenarios, does it? This is so important because you will come down from this great work in a minute if you don't guard your heart about this. Whether we are loved or not, we are called to love, aren't we? And I know, I know it doesn't feel good to be treated with unlovingness, but you know what? You know what feels even worse than being treated with unlovingness? Treating someone else with that same unlovingness. Even if they deserve it. You feel just as bad or worse treating someone with that same unlovingness that you felt when it was given to you. Because it takes so much negative energy for you to be hateful back at somebody or careless towards somebody than it ever took the person that dispensed it to you in the first place. So whatever it takes to love somebody, forgiveness, prayer, and everything in between, do it and love them because the alternative is not good for anybody, especially you. Because if you choose another way, you'll hit pause on your great work. It's so easy to come off the scaffold and trade it for some other project, but come on. What kingdom difference will that make? We must have vigilance and confidence about our work in 2022 because that's the great commission at its core, impacting lives for the glory of God for their good. We need vigilance, we need confidence, but we also need commitment. Nehemiah had commitment like Daniel had when Daniel, when the scripture says that Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was committed to his work. It doesn't get much more committed than I'm doing a great work and I'm not budging, does it? So tonight, in this week, I want you to examine the landscape of your life. What area needs to be restored by the principles and virtues of God's word? What needs to be your focus this year? What's your great work for this year? Nehemiah had a heart, went into the heart of the city. He examined his own heart and he examined the heart of the city. We need to examine our hearts and our relationships with those that God has given us from our families to our churches, these unavoidable areas that we must prioritize. What, will we, what we work at daily at home, we seek to extend to others in our community and world through our local church involvement. The church helps us remember that as good as we may have it at home, there are many that don't know it as good as we do, and we can bring that to them through the local church. It brings in outside and ideas and ongoing accountability and helps us remember that the kingdom of God is bigger than just our own four walls. So what great work... What great work do you need to focus on in 2022? It begins with, and it extends to those around you and those that God wants to surround you with. It requires that we consider a very important question. How can we leverage our life and our relationships for the greater good of others and the greater good, the greater glory of God? How can we leverage our life for the greater good of others? Listen, Nehemiah didn't have to do this. He didn't have to. Nobody made him. But he couldn't say no 
to this calling. And I have a hunch that all of you feel that same calling tonight. Under the voice of God and the spirit of God, we can't ignore it. How can we leverage our lives? And you know what will happen when we begin to have this, ask ourselves this and wrestle with this, this, this question? It will make you uncomfortable. It will begin to pry away at some of the things that you don't want to be pried at. But you know what happens when you begin to ask yourself this question? It will define and direct your moral compass. It will define how you handle your finances. It will define how you spend your time professionally and recreationally. Ultimately, it will teach you how to best love those that God has put in your life and those that God might want to put in your life. It all comes down to what great work has God put in front of you and what it's going to take to keep it in front of you because maybe there's a great work that you have come down from in the past year. Could there be? Maybe the question isn't why should I come down, but the question is why did I come down? Because there's a reason. Maybe you got distracted. Maybe you were prone to give in to the same distraction this year. We need to be like Nehemiah and resolve in our hearts. Not this year. I'm not coming down. We're going to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be closer. To, we're going to be closer together with those that God's given us in this life for His glory to grow His kingdom. Just think about the way Nehemiah silenced his tempters. He didn't. He did it by asking a question. And when you think about this, the way he responds, it's really brilliant. Why should I stop my work and leave it and come down to you? Why should, I, why should this great work stop while I leave it and come down to something inferior in every way? Isn't that a brilliant question that dismisses any distraction or detractors we have? Why? Should this great work stop while I come down to something that's inferior? Now, sometimes the thing that tempts us away from God's great work isn't sinful or it isn't contrary to God's word or isn't opposition like he faced. Sometimes it just doesn't mesh with where God wants you to be, where he's calling you to be. Sometimes, of course, it might be sinful and there's even more reasons why we should avoid it. But the reality is we have to determine what our great work is and decide that there is nothing that's going to get in the way of it. Because as verse 4 says, the, inv the invitations away are not going to stop. Every single day, our families, our relationships, our commitment to God are being challenged and tested. We face temptations to break out our loyal, break loyalty and dedication to these areas that God has shown us that deserve the utmost of our protection and attention. What will be said of our generation? Will we persist in the great works God has called us to, or will we turn away to something less? Look down at verse nine. Nehemiah led the nation in clinging to God so that they would not be led astray. It says in verse nine, for they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in this work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. You know what Nehemiah confesses in that verse? It was in him to quit. The voices were not going away. The temptation was not going away. The reasons to quit were not going away. He clung to God, knowing that he was as prone to leave it as anybody. You know what that tells me? We must prioritize the work God has given us to do and protect and preserve it with our lives because the alternatives 
will be less than in every single way. The alternatives that tempt us that we may give ourselves to will be less than in every way. Because when you compare them to what we walk away from, it will be less satisfying and most disappointing. It will be insignificant in comparison to what God invited you to do. So church, let us join together in accountability and devotion this year to do these very things. This week, let's identify our great works. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but spend the time this week. What are your great works for this year? Start at home and go from there. What are your great works this year? And embrace your greater accountability. Put yourself in a place where people hold you accountable to those great works that you're not gonna just be able to slip away and nobody notice, but you're gonna put yourself out there. These are my great works and I'm gonna be accountable to them and for them. And refuse to allow anything to take on a greater importance. Because we know, we know that nothing is more important than that which is dedicated to and sanctioned by the word of God and for the kingdom of God. So I wanna lead us in saying this statement together before we leave. Would you say it with me? I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it for something less than great? What's your great work? Why stop for something less? Identify, embrace, and refuse to walk away. Great works are never really finished. They start and they continue. But if you start one, if you need to start one, start it. If you need to continue one, continue it. But whatever you do, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't come down. Because if we come down, if we come down, then everything we value and treasure the most will fall down. And we know that, don't we? We we not only let those down that we love the most, we let ourselves down. Who knows what this year has in store for us, but may we decide tonight in this week and going forward, that no matter what comes our way, nothing is going to get in the way of our great work. Will you make that decision tonight and this week that you've got a great work to do and nothing's going to get in the way. You're not going to come down for something less. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible, incredible story that I'm always blown away by as it reminds me of how practical your word is. And thank you for this historical account about a man who had every reason to not get involved, but just could not say no to your calling. Lord, thank you for Nehemiah and thank you for his vulnerability as we see him confessing that, hey, it's in me, it's in all of us to be, to be tempted. It's in all of us to be distracted. It's in all of us to quit. Lord, there's a great work that you've called us all to relationally, spiritually, of course. There's a great work that you've called us all to that it's all about the kingdom of God and the relationships that are intertwined with the kingdom at home and here at our church. There's a great work you've called us all to and we are being tempted already as we're climbing up the scaffolds, we're being tempted to come down. And we, we think that some days we can just take a break. We can just leave it and go do something else. 
But God, let us not be foolish to think that there's anything greater than the work you called us to do. Lord, would you help us this week to identify our great works? And would you help us embrace accountability that the local church gives us and our families give us? Would you help us identify and embrace and would you help us refuse to come down from that work? Because why should we come down for something lesser? Lord, show us, break our hearts over what needs to be done and give us a dedicated spirit to commit to this work so that we might be the most satisfied and the most pleased and do the most significant work we can for the kingdom of God in 2022. Thank you, Lord. Bless the folks that are here tonight. Inspire us all and help us to put our hands to that great work and not come down. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.